If you're living in Colorado and you are craving some good old Southern barbecue, be sure to give Moe's Original Barbecue a try. My favorite thing about Moe's Original Barbecue is we are a Southern soul food revival. We make everything from scratch daily, house-made smoked meats, and customer service to the next level. That was Robbie Peoples, one of the managers over at Moe's Original Barbecue. And like he mentioned, they have incredible food, awesome customer service, and I think my favorite part is how cool the environment is in both of their locations. We have live music at Moe's at our south location, 3295 South Broadway, which is a full PA system, ticket sales. Uh, we have national bands, we have local bands. If you're a local band interested in playing, feel free to contact us at mosdenver.com. We would love to have you come down and play for a big old party at Mo's Original Barbecue. Not only do they have live music, but they also have a bowling alley and a dozen TVs with all of your favorite games on. They have two locations, one in downtown Denver off Broadway and 6th, and of course the other one that Robbie mentioned in Inglewood. I would recommend some Mo's to someone because we cater to all needs, a family-friendly atmosphere. We have Colorado beers on tap, all the games on the TVs. It will blow your mind with amazing barbecue. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. Before we jump into the show, I want to tell you about this really awesome deal for BSN listeners. If you didn't know by now, Total Beverage is delivering beer, wine, and liquor to anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. For a limited time, Total Bev is offering $10 off a $50 purchase on their website and app. Use promo code BSN10 to save $10 off a $50 purchase for all your parties. Have it delivered straight to your door. Let's jump into the show. I'm your host tonight, AJ Hayfley, alongside the fourth member of the BSN Avalanche team who occasionally shows up and makes a little bit of noise with us. I am welcoming in with us Andy DeRoe. Andy, what's up, yo? much just was hanging out watching the game and you asked me to jump on so here i am well sometimes it's just that simple so how'd you uh how'd you enjoy game 82 (laughs) i enjoyed the fact that it didn't actually matter (laughs) yes like a whole lot i enjoyed the fact that it didn't actually matter especially considering that we haven't won in san jose in I don't even know how long like yeah. coming into this, if we had needed game 82, it would have just been a nightmare. So very thankful. They wrapped up business at home in game 81 and uh, we could all just sit back, relax and watch them try to get McKinnon his 100th point. Yeah, it was uh, kind of the point of tonight. You know, it was, it was the whole thing. Okay. The game's not going to matter in the standings. We knew before the game started that it was not going to matter as Dallas took care of business against the helpless and god-awful Minnesota Wild. Um, So we knew going in, this was meaningless game. Just get out of it healthy and try to get McKinnon 100 points. Uh, The Avalanche accomplished one of those two things and arguably uh, the more important of them as they did walk out of the game uh, in good health. And uh, Jared Bednar did say post-game that Miko Rantanen uh, will be back for the postseason. So all hands on deck uh, for the Avs going into the playoffs. They walk out of tonight arguably healthier than they walked in because uh, an extra five days off for, for will, will be just enough to get Miko Rantanen back into the lineup. 
So expect him there for game one. We knew he had been skating during practice and was preparing to come back. Um, and with the team not needing him, them, them clinching without his services, there was no need whatsoever for him to play in this one. Uh, who did play, however, Nathan McKinnon. And he got his 41st goal of the year uh, early on in the second period, his 99th point. It was pretty cool. Andy, I'm going to put you on the spot. 99 points for Nathan McKinnon this year. Do any of them stand out in your mind in particular? Not in particular, at least not right off the top of my head. It's just been, it's been awesome watching him this year. Um, Past couple of years, really the, the chemistry that that top line in particular uh, had, especially early in the year, it was just magical, magical hockey to watch. So I don't know if I have a particular play that stands out. It's just this one long wash of just awesome, amazing hockey from um, McKinnon and Rantanen and Landis Cog. It's just, it's been a fun ride this year. It really has been. It has been. And it's funny because I asked you off the top of your head, do any of them stand out? And while I was asking you that question, for some reason, the goal that he scored in Boston against the Bruins in the game that they lost two to one in uh, in overtime, for some reason, that goal popped into my mind. Uh, I don't know why. It was right after that power play had ended, and he was in that he was in the corner, and he pulled the puck out of the corner and then uh, roofed it up top. And it was one of the goals scored at our uh, one of the watch parties we hosted. Um, and then one of the other goals that he scored was the one the the sixth goal in the seven to six loss to Vancouver, where I thought that was probably the dagger and the abs were going to win the game at that point. Um, they were going to win, go on to win six to five. And that obviously did not happen. So it's funny Two two goals spring to mind randomly. I don't know why those two goals instead of all the others, uh, but pretty cool stuff. Uh, 99 points. We talked about his breakout last year and how it was on him to prove that it was the real deal. And he goes from a 97-point season to a 99-point season, albeit he played in all 82 games this year, uh, which he did not do last year. So the point-per-game pace was a little bit lower this year. He had a little bit more help as Landeskog was a point-of-game guy as well. And and they had 330 goal scores this year. Andy, do you remember back in the day when we used to joke about no that the Avs couldn't get anybody to score any hat tricks? They didn't have any, and, and they didn't have any thirty goal scores, and now they have an abundance of both. It's amazing. Uh, you think about how far this team has come, and it both feels like a short time and a really long time, depending <laughs> on how you look at it. I yeah. mean, uh, I remember when you know Landis Cog was drafted and having all of these hopes for him, and here he is. Now he's he's exactly what we expected when we called his name to the podium. And uh, same with McKinnon, same with Rantanen. And you, you just think about all of the terrible years that we've sat through and how much we would just kill to have anybody get even close to 30. And now here we are <laughs> with with three of them on the roster. It's 
it's it's really cool. And uh, I, for one, am just enjoying the ride because you know that it's fleeting and you hope that it sticks around this time. But I I appreciate the heck out of it. It's, it's been a fun year. Yeah, you know, the it's funny. They had three guys who scored 30, one guy who scored 40, uh, one guy who scored 20 in Soderbergh, and then uh, 10 guys who scored at least 10. So, yeah, that pretty, sounds... it's, it's pretty spread out. Uh, it's it, You have the three up top, obviously. Um, and then and then you have Soderbergh kind of in the middle there at, at 23. And then after that, you know, Barry has 14, Kerfoot has 15, Comfer has 16, uh, Wilson with 12, Calvert and Jost each with 11. So kind of a kind of a kind of a strange year in terms of how the points got spread out. Um, we talked about secondary scoring, and you know they end up with uh, they end up with six guys who scored at least forty points. Kerfoot with forty two, Soderberg forty nine, Barry fifty nine, and then you have the big three at the top, and then you know Comfer with thirty two, and then all these guys with twenty, and very interesting season overall. Yeah, you know, you you look at the depth scoring, and I guess it depends on what you mean by depth scoring, because the Avs clearly have uh, an issue on their second line, and that's something that they need to address heading into next season, because Soderbergh produced like a second line player, which is great. You have one, and then you've got (laughs) all these other dudes who are awesome for your, you know, your bottom six, but... Uh, you kind of don't want them uh, in your top six if this is all they're going to produce. So, yeah, it's it's been good in that they they definitely picked it up, um, especially here down the stretch, and they came together and they made it work and they got into the playoffs. But moving forward, there's definitely room for improvement, not so much in the actual depth, but certainly on that second line. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, We're going to get into a little bit more of that. Certainly next segment and uh, in shows to come as we will have an entire summer uh, at some point in which we will look back on the season as a whole, a little more in depth than we are tonight. Um, one of the guys who also did play tonight, Simeon Varlamov. We thought that his swan song might have come a couple nights ago, but with them secure in the playoff spot, why why risk it? Philip Grubauer is your guy. Um, give him an extra day off. Uh, don't don't run the risk of him getting hurt in game. Uh, it's kind of cruel, but the world of sports. Varley was kind of the sacrificial lamb tonight and did not play particularly well, honestly. It was... It was kind of striking to watch after weeks now of excellent goaltending uh, to go back and, and watch a downright mediocre goaltending performance. Uh, it really it really stood out. And Varley, not very good. Uh, the first goal against Brent Burns, certainly one that that absolutely has to get stopped. I mean, that's that's not even up for debate. A couple of fluky ones, though, so you don't feel like he was terrible, but when you do let in a bad goal, you do open yourself up to that criticism. And tonight was kind of a good reminder of of just how good Grubauer has been lately and how much he's really taken hold of the job. Andy, 
we're not, you know, moving forward, we may not, uh, we may not have you on very many shows, uh, when we talk about these types of things. So I'd like to get your opinion on this. Varley's a free agent. Hot question here. Do you bring him back to be Groovy's backup or just as kind of a plan B in case Groovy is not a bona fide starter next year? That's a tough question. Uh, here, let's I, do this. Give me give me a world in which you do bring him back, because I'm sure if he said, hey, I'll play for one year at $600,000, you'd be like, okay. Yeah, um, no, there's definitely that. Um, the contract plays into it. But also you look at this year, and he started out great, and then he just completely collapsed in the middle. He recovered. He actually recovered um, before Grubauer did, because Grubauer had struggles as well uh but this has been this has been one of varley's weaker performances as an avalanche goalie and you know he's he's getting older and he had the groin surgery and you just have to wonder about a goalie who has always relied on his athleticism to make saves as he goes into his 30s it's it's a bit of a risky take and uh, you know, one or two years for reasonable money. Yeah, maybe sure. But I also am kind of curious what else might be out there. Um, I mean, we know about the big free agents and I'm, I'm not sure we need like a, a Bobrovsky coming in or anything, but mm-hmm. y- you know, you look at Francis down in the AHL and know that he's ready to move up. Maybe he's a better option still a little salty that they didn't give him more starts in December <laughs> like they could have to maybe figure this out but here we are um I don't know um I don't know because it, it's been Varley's net for so long and watching somebody else come in and take it from you and you're now the backup there was a weird dynamic there this entire year and mm-hmm. I'm not sure that going back to that dynamic is good. There would need to be a pretty clear understanding about whose net it is. And I'm just not sure that you're going to get that with Varley and Grubauer. So I don't know. I don't know. It's something that I'm probably going to flip-flop on a few times before July 1st actually comes. Um, If Varley can get a starting role somewhere, power to you. You, you should take that. You should go and you should run with it because at best you're going to be in a, um, a tandem situation here for the starting role. So I don't know. I, I really don't. Yeah, it seems like uh, it, it does seem like, you know, with with Bob likely leaving Columbus, that would be a place that he might consider. Um you know, a team like Buffalo continues to look for goaltending. And it was, I think it was pretty clear uh, that despite the contract given to him, that Carter Hutton isn't the guy there. So um, I think there, there might be some options out there for him. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I I really don't know what that market looks like. I think that'll be one of the more interesting storylines for us to follow over the, over the course of the off season. Um, Any, uh, I guess, Tonight's game, we don't really need to. I mean, I don't really want to get too into it. Did it, did anything, did anything in particular, really, in particular, really stand out for you about about tonight's game? 
other than the Hoosier style attempt at forcing McKinnon to get a hundred points. That was great. That that made my night. I <laughs> loved that. Some people are probably gonna freak out. Somebody on Twitter made a mention of can you imagine Wah behind the bench watching this? Yeah. The guy who like yeah. went off on Duchesne celebrating his 30th goal in a loss, like he would not take this well. But I I thought it was great. I thought it was it was really cool that the team bonded together and tried really hard to get McKinnon that that hundredth point and they pulled the goalie with like what three minutes left, four minutes. It was yeah. it was ridiculous. It was I mean was challenging an empty net goal for offside <laughs> in a game that doesn't matter, just so you can continue to justify trying to get your star player a one hundred point a one hundredth point on the season. I mean that's that's an all-time great, like, coach has your back moment. Well, and then he called the timeout. Yeah, well, and he followed <laughs> it up with the timeout after they uh, uh, after they finally got a stoppage in play. And he was like, all right, well, we'll call the timeout. We'll rest all of you guys and then get back out there and keep at it. So it was, <laughs> it was certainly cool that Jared Bednar was, uh, I mean, maybe not even in on it. Maybe this was... Maybe this was him spearheading the whole thing from the start. Uh, it was definitely interesting. I I had a good laugh at it. I uh, when the team gets back into town, I do look forward to practice and and, and giving McKinnon a hard time about chunking it uh, on the on the the best opportunity that he had on the hundredth point. It'll be fun to give him a hard time about that. Also, I think um, Altitude showed a graphic where with how everybody was stacking up across the league, and I think Sidney Crosby has 100 points this year. Yeah, he so, finished with 100. So Nathan McKinnon's uh, neighbor this summer is has 100 points, and Nathan McKinnon only has 99. So Nathan McKinnon better go a lot further in the playoffs than his neighbor this year just to – even the bragging rights. Yeah, it's, uh, that's funny. That's, you know, that just from a competitor standpoint, that's going to bother him. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and wrap up segment number one here. Um, segment number two, we are going to talk about a little bit more about the regular season in review. There were 82 games scheduled. Those are completed. The avalanche, however, are not saying goodbye to us quite yet. They do have a first-round series coming up against the Calgary Flames. Beginning, we believe, uh, next Thursday, the official schedule will be released on Sunday morning. Uh, so we, uh, you know, we'll find out. But we are going to talk a little bit more about the regular season. Might touch a little bit on the postseason matchup ahead. This is BSN Avalanche Podcast. Frosted Leaf is Denver's most innovative dispensary. What I like about Frosted Leaf would probably be their knowledgeable bud tenders, their online kiosk, their online ordering, and then just pick up at the store. And then they're always getting new genetics as well, so that's always cool. Like Edgar mentioned, Frosted Leaf gives you no lines, no weight, and a self-paced direct shopping experience that allows a fast yet comfortable transaction without the awkwardness of a waiting room. Not only does Frosted Leaf have the hottest strains, but they also offer a rewards program that will help towards your purchases. I would recommend Frosted Leaf to a friend, and I would tell them to look forward to different strains and to knowledgeable help. Check out Frosted Leaf's three Denver locations and download their app today. 
And welcome back in here, second segment of the BSN Avalanche podcast, presented by Total Bev. I am AJ, she is Andy. We are us, and we are reliving 82 games in a very condensed fashion. Andy, it's safe to say, in a season in which the Avalanche clinched the postseason for the second straight year, there were some high points. It is safe to say that there was a stretch in which they went 6-17-6, that there were some low points. Yeah. What, sticking out in your mind, with no real time to digest the whole season, immediately here, what is some of what you remember in terms of a high point? Well, I mean, you got to start with the the run down the stretch there during the playoff push. They they lost that game at Anaheim, and they were out like six points, I think, at that point. And I know I was like, okay, let's start talking draft picks with the Avs pick because this is just not going to happen. And then they got 18 of 20 points in their next 10 games. Just an insane run. Grubauer was awesome. And, I mean, Landis Cog was injured. And then Miko Rantanen was injured. And Barry stepped up. And everybody stepped up. It was was a really interesting stretch. Um, Not only for the fact that they got hot, but for the fact that it looked like they were down and out and then showed a resiliency that this team has not shown in a very long time. So I think that that stands out as, is definitely the high point. And then uh, another memory that just popped into my head was uh, early season when Mike Madonna was the biggest avalanche <laughs> fan. I thought that was, that was just great. I love Mike <laughs> Madonna avalanche fan. That was I'm- uh, I forgot about that. Watching him tweet about the Avs top line every night was a blast. That was so great. And just seeing Dallas fans just hurt inside. It, it was good. It was good. Yeah, those were... Uh, God, I forgot about the Madonna stuff. <laughs> it feels it feels like 10 years ago that that happened. Doesn't it? Yeah, it's... For the good, uh, this was a very long season. Very long season, indeed. Yeah, I, uh, I, f- I think I might have lost a couple of birthdays uh, off my ultimate lifespan just from covering the team this year. That uh, I don't doubt. Well, well, so for, you know, so a low point. Is there any low point that really, really sticks out? I mean, you you mentioned it that they went six, seventeen, and six in twenty nine games in December, January, and early February, which I think that's most of when the uh, missing birthdays might have occurred. So I would start looking there. Uh, <laughs> but one game in particular that just irked me was the uh, the one in late December against the Coyotes, where you know. Grubauer was terrible and he got pulled and uh, Francis let in a weak one. And it just, that was a team at that time that we should have just cleaned up and put away. And we didn't. Um, and 
that game in particular stands out to me for whatever reason. It just seems like a a microcosm of that that time period. Um, and and now looking back on it, you know that that game cost us the head-to-head tiebreaker eventually with the Coyotes. Luckily, we didn't need it, but. Uh, that game, if we had tied in points in rows and if the last, what, three games of the season had broken a little differently, that game right there could have cost us the playoffs. So, <laughs> yeah, the, that weak Brad Richardson floater from the blue line that somehow never got picked up by Fransuz and was the only goal he let in in an otherwise spectacular performance that night in relief of Grubauer. Yeah. Yeah, and the yeah. the the cruelty of that night was he Francis should have started in the first place. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and then not only that, but uh, because the Abs came back in the third period, uh, he was the goalie of record. He gives up one goal. He played great, made a handful of amazing saves, and ended up as the goalie of record that night because uh, the team came back in the third period. So that was, I covered that game in person. It was very frustrating. Um, I remember being pretty excited after they had tied it and it was like, holy smokes. Cause you remember like Nathan, Nathan McKinnon had just decided that he was better than all of the coyotes combined and was just on a man on a mission. And he and Matt Nieto made magic together that night mm-hmm. and they tied the game and it was like, oh my gosh. And then it was getting down and it was getting late. And then Richardson scores that nonsense floater, and it was like, okay. Very frustrating. I was I was so annoyed that night. So a good game um, to pick as a low point. My low point will be the was the January 16th loss to Ottawa in Ottawa. It was at the end of that five-game road trip to Canada, the beginning of which they had outplayed Winnipeg and Calgary by significant amount. And got outscored 12, uh, 12 to seven in those games, and both goalies were god awful, and it was it was terrible. Then they had a couple days off. We had the watch party at uh, we had the watch party for the that Saturday night against Montreal. Montreal shuts out Colorado three nothing, and that was a game that I believe was zero zero going into the third. And then the Abs came out and they beat up Toronto on the back of a Carl Soderberg hat trick. Which what? <laughs> Yeah, that, that whole sentence is, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, well, and then two days later, they go into Ottawa. Ottawa's a joke. They're god-awful. And you're just like, okay, well, what, you know, all right, well, we'll you know, two and three on a tough Eastern road trip, or a tough uh, Canadian road trip that, you know, lasts nine days or whatever it ended up being. Like, that's not too bad, right? Like, two and three, it's not great, but it's a good way to salvage it. And then they went out, and they weren't even really competitive with the Senators that night. Uh, they had the they had the nonsense Matt Calvert goal where he scored from behind the net, called back because of the the net was slightly off its moorings on the other side, and uh, and then then that was it. They, they kind of like that that broke the what would have been a comeback against the Sens, and they ended up losing five to two, and it was incredibly frustrating. Um, they would blow out the Kings a couple nights later, but I remember after that Sens loss, just feeling like, God, this is just, they just can't get out of their way. They just can't get going. Well, and 
I mean, little did I know that it would be weeks until they actually would figure it out again. Yeah, at that point, I was going to say that they had had, besides the Toronto win, two wins since uh, December 17th at that point. So, yeah, it was, that was a rough stretch. Um, A very rough stretch. Yeah, and it just, it felt helpless um, watching him in, in Ottawa that night. And you knew, like, hey, Logic Brain was saying, hey, they've been on the road for over a week. That's really long in the NHL. Uh, this is their fifth game on the road in a, on this trip. That's one of the longer road trips that teams uh, are allowed to have now. Um, it, you know, it was, it was a tough, it was a tough trip. They'd lost uh, the first three games. But then you felt like you talked yourself into it, right? Like, oh, they're coming out of beating Toronto. This is going to be a lot better. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling. We're feeling a lot better here. And then they go out and they lose to Ottawa. And then it didn't get any better because they blew out the Kings that weekend. And you're like, all right, here we go. Now it's turned around. And the next week they lose uh, to both Nashville and Colorado at home. And you're just like, this is stupid. Mm-hmm. And and then they went on the All Star break, and they came out of the All Star break, and they got punched in the mouth two games in a row by Vancouver and Columbus, both at home. And it just that whole like stretch of games was just so frustrating. And it's weird that what really kind of sparked them to play better was that that three game Eastern swing where they lost in overtime in every game against Washington, the Isles, and Bruins, but they were good in all of those games. Mm-hmm. And then they came home, they had Toronto at home, and that was a good game, except they gave up the three power play goals in like 90 seconds and lost the game there. And then after that, they started to put they started to put it back together. You know, they beat Winnipeg, um, lost again to St. Louis, and then on and on and on and on. That's that's late February is is when they started to put it together after the Toronto game, which was also the game where mentally my spirit had broken and I said this just isn't a playoff team and and, two nights later their turnaround began (laughs) good timing on your part but uh you know you you look at the the abs over the course of this rebuild and it it always seems to go that the first year after they finish you know bottom three they come back they make the playoffs and then they just fall into either this they hit a bump in the road. They hit some sort of adversity and they just absolutely collapse and it just snowballs and the season is done or they just finish kind of there. And this season was definitely looking like it was going to be one of those. And during this awful losing stretch, it felt a lot more like um, 2010-11 than it did any of those eh, years like uh like the year that we ended up drafting uh Rantanen so for them to course correct I think is another high point of the season the fact that they were able to pull themselves out of this they lost I think eight games in a row during the stretch they had another six game loss and then even before they got deep into it I think they had a five game in in November so this is a team that faced some nasty losing stretches and still found a way. They 
they course corrected. And that's just not something you've seen from the abs in a decade. It was, uh, it was something new. It was something different. And I think more than anything that speaks to the hope that we should have moving forward, that this was different. There was something about this team that was different. And there's something here that I think can be built on finally. Yeah, I mean, this is, obviously, you have to feel like, I mean, just the fact that they made it two years in a row and it wasn't it wasn't even particularly fluky outside of, the only thing I think you could say was fluky about this year's um, course correction and, and making of the postseason was uh, that the West just wasn't very good as a whole. And, you know, had the, had the, the West been as good at, as it had been in recent years, um, they don't make the playoffs with 90 points. No. You know, I mean, you look at last year, the Avs had to to scrape and claw, and it took a Duncan Keith miracle in game eighty in game eighty one for game eighty two to even matter. Uh, and that was a nine last year's team was a ninety five point team. So you know, I think it's outside of that being where they got luckiest. Uh, it wasn't really a. It, I don't really feel like it was a particularly fortuitous run to the postseason as a whole. Um. They played, I mentioned this on a podcast the other day, uh, 52 games, uh, they played at a 113-point pace. And then that 29-game stretch where they went 6-17-6 was a 41-point pace, uh, betrayed all of that. Yeah, absolutely. And that does not include include tonight's game against San Jose. So the 113-point pace, if I did the math and added that game in there, would drop a little bit. Um, But it would still be essentially 113 point pace and that's that's a really good that that would have won the west by six points this year had they been able to obviously keep that up for 82 games that would have been on that would have been a little much but we would be talking easily easily without and had they just been 500 during that 617 and 6 stretch we'd be talking we would have been talking about them tonight uh competing for uh the division title with nashville winnipeg and st louis Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that you can't necessarily take the highest points of a season and the lowest points of a season and toss them out. Um, Edmonton's uh, ownership or uh, management group kind of got uh, yelled at a little bit for that this week. So, you know, the Avs are both of those teams. They are the the 41-point pace. They are the 113-point pace and Mm -hmm. ended up being 90, which is, you know, wild card-ish and about where we figured they would be. But uh, it's been a frustrating year because you look at the disparity of those two and you see just how different they are. This year has had three clear segments to it. Three very clear segments. The first one was good. The second one was bad. And the third one was good again. And then you mix in their overtime issues. And, you know, if they had gone 500 in um, overtime, we'd be talking about, what, another four or five points at minimum? Yeah. I mean, you start to get into the overtime stuff and it's just like, just go 500 in the games that go beyond regulation. And again, they make the com- they make the postseason comfortably. Yeah, so there are definitely some weird, weird quirks that went into this year. Maybe on both the low and the high sides, but the low ones are just 
baffling between the goaltending and the the overtime stuff. I sometimes I don't even know what to make of it anymore. Just <laughs> it, it, I think that if you replayed this season with the same roster, you would get a drastically different outcome. There would still be something that we would be complaining about on this podcast because there there always is. But uh, it's just it's been a weird year really weird year um it's definitely been a bizarre season and it's certainly bizarre that in the west this is good enough to make the postseason um going back to um 2014-15 um just because that's where i am right now just out of curiosity 90 points would have gotten them in the playoffs one other time and that was was third year when the wild made it as an 87 point team and the abs were the team on the outside looking in with 82 points. Uh, but that abs team lost six games in a row to finish the year. I was going to ask if that was the six game losing yeah. streak. Yeah. And it's, it's strange because was second year, the abs weren't particularly close to making the playoffs. Um, the year after they won the division in 13, 14, but in 14, 15, they had a 90 point season. And, uh, Winnipeg made it as the second wild card with 99 points that year. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really strange to see it this low. I, 95. Well, we've gotten so accustomed to it. Yeah, 95. Like, we've gotten like... so accustomed to the Central Division being absolutely brutal at the top. You know, I'm looking at that that year alone. Uh, the Central Division had four 100 point teams, and then Winnipeg at 99 and Dallas at 92, and Colorado at 90. The worst of the worst team in the division had a 90-point season that year. That was 2014-15, and it didn't get particularly better uh, any time through the years. You know, the, the next year, three more 100-point teams. You know, so it's 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 been, the Central has been brutal. And the Avs caught the break this year where everything kind of, the bottom sort of fell out of of the bottom of the uh, of the conference, but the top as well. You know, there there was no real like Calgary cruised to the to winning the the West this year, and I think on the final day of the year, um, Nashville hit a hundred points. So yeah. yeah, they got to a hundred points exactly on the final day of the season. San Jose with the win tonight against the Avs got to a hundred and one. Um, but I mean, you're talking Dallas at 93 points and Colorado at 90 points made the playoffs this year. I mean, that's everybody got a little bit lucky that everybody else around them wasn't very good. Well, and you look at the way that teams, uh, change over the years, there's, there's constantly the cycle between rebuilding to competing to getting old and starting to suck. And most of the central teams have really been on the same schedule. They've all been competing about the same time, hitting their high points about the same time. And Colorado was the only one kind of off of that because they've been in this weird lull for the last decade. But now I think we're starting to see all of the central teams going through this get old and start to suck period where the abs are finally starting to move into contention. And it's it's been weird. It's been different. Um, I don't think it's totally unexpected. We knew the bottom was going to start dropping out for these guys eventually. But um, 
it has been a little weird that it happened all at the same time. And it's happened throughout the entire division. It's not one or two teams dropping down, you know, Chicago or Minnesota. It's everybody has suffered this. And uh, yeah, it's it's very different. It's going to be different moving forward because I think that next year we'll see some rebounds, but not a lot. Um, I Yeah, I mean, it's easy to see Jordan Bennington uh, putting St. Louis on his back for three months. Yeah, that's not going to happen again. St. Louis is going to have to do something uh, pretty drastic to try and recreate the insanity of this year. Uh, Winnipeg, I think it's easy to, to say it at, at least before we get into anything else and say there's likely a step back coming from them. San Jose went all in on this season. Uh, if they lose Eric Carlson in free agency and he just walks, say Joe Thornton just retires, what do you do then? You know, there's they have no draft picks. Like they right, have like very a lot draft. of question marks. Like there's there's going to be a lot of question marks in the West. Uh, Dallas, I mean Dallas got world class goaltending beginning to end of the season out of two different players. Uh, relying on that to happen again sure seems. Uh, like a fool's errand to me. They're going to need to do something to try and beef up their offense for sure. Uh, and then, you know, Colorado is going to have to try and limit the the goals against next year. And then they're going to have to try and recreate the magic of the offensive explosion that they had. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. There's a lot of different things uh, going on here. And, you know, Nashville's guys, they all get one year older. And some of those cats are starting to get to the age where you worry about them. You know, P.K. Subban, I believe, had nine goals this year. For a $9 million player, that's a problem, man. So that's – it's it's really – it's really interesting that this could just be the beginning of a lull that we see out west with, with some teams really taking uh, steps back. You know, you don't really see big jumps coming from Los Angeles and Edmonton, Anaheim. Uh, Minnesota certainly feels like they're still on a downslope. Chicago, Arizona, Vancouver, all teams I, I could get talked into being excited about. Uh, Vegas and Calgary, I expect, are here for a while. Um, and, and Nashville, obviously, isn't going to go anywhere. But it's going to be really curious uh, to see how this all develops over the next couple of years as the West continues to get reshaped. Uh, this conversation kind of went sideways on us a little bit, but I do want to go, uh, give, me, give me one player. Uh, thumbs up and thumbs down for whatever reason that you want. Let's let's start with thumbs up. You know, I could do the the same player actually for both of these because I think that there were two guys on the Avs who had extremely mixed seasons of both very good and very bad. And uh, the first one I'm going to go with is Tyson Jost because, uh, you know, we – there was definitely an expectation that he was going to step up and be the second line center. And uh, he wasn't, he actually ended up getting sent down to the minors for a while in the middle of the season. But, you know, after that course, correct, he came back and he had 10 points and I forget how many games, but it wasn't all that many 26. So 10 points in 26 games is, not terrible and altitude uh showed him with his glove off tonight and you could see that his uh top index finger was highly bandaged so you know the dude hasn't been uh a hundred percent for a while and um so 
you know, it, it's been a rough sophomore season for Jost, but he's definitely uh, finished strong, and that's about all you can ask. The other guy um, is Philip Grubauer, because I don't think I've ever seen a player have two seasons within one season that are just so different. During the awful stretch we were talking about, I believe he was an 869 goaltender, which is just, I know the goaltending percentage has dropped a little this year, but that is heinous. That is awful. That is the reason, the biggest reason why we want 617 and 6 during that stretch. And then starting on, what day was that? February 23rd. He had 14 appearances to the end of the year, and he posted a 9.56 across 14 games, which is just, that's stupid. That's, yeah. that's amazing. Like, so, a 9.56 <laughs> across, like, six games is an amazing stretch, but across 14? It's stupid. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean... With both of those guys, it's been an extremely mixed bag this year, and I think kind of speaks to the Av season in general, where there have been extreme highs and extreme lows, and really no rhyme or reason to why they happened. So, uh, yeah, those are the guys that I would go with. Uh, okay. I mean, I can't can't really argue with, uh, with either of those. Uh, I think it's kind of kind of funny that you gave a thumbs up to a guy with a broken finger but <laughs> poor jost yeah, i like uh i like the jokes um for those curious that finger has been broken since february 16th against the blues <sighs> so guy. um just keep in mind that while there certainly wasn't some sort of offensive explosion um that's been going on for quite a while so uh okay i think uh that'll that should probably uh do it for this segment we've run a little bit long here so i'm gonna uh eschew my uh giving my own answers i'll do it on a different episode so gonna go ahead and uh jump out of this one real quick before we do i gotta tell you guys about one of our newer sponsors called houselift colorado now these guys are interesting Because if you're thinking about selling your house and it's not in tip-top condition and you're looking to ensure that you're going to maximize your profit, these are the guys you get in hold of. Because if your house is in need of an upgrade, Houselift can assist in eliminating all the stress of the remodeling process while matching the current trends that buyers most desire. It's a great rhyme. And get this, there are zero upfront costs from you, the homeowner. That's right. You won't have to pay for any of the upfront costs for the remodel until, until your house actually closes. Houselift will handle everything from the contractors to the design while managing the cost. Here's what you need to do. You head over to their website or Facebook page, both at houseliftcolorado.com, and check out the incredible remodels Houselift has done for the homeowners here in the metro area. In past jobs, Houselift has put anywhere from 15 to 60K or more in their clients' pockets. Call 303-885-7888 today and find out what Houselift can do for you. And if you hire one of Houselift's preferred realtors, they will sell your home without even charging a listing commission. 
Sounds like a great deal to me. If I was a homeowner, I would be all over that. That's going to do it for segment number two here at the BSN Avalanche podcast. We will be right back. Welcome in third and final segment here of the bonus edition uh, on the weekend here at the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Bev. I'm AJ Hayfley. She is Andy D. I like calling I am. Andy D better. I think that's better. Andy D works. I mean, that's my Twitter handle, so. Yeah, I've, I've mentally called you that for so many years now that it's just like what I see. Yeah, that, so. that makes sense because I've been Andy D on the internet for, well, honestly, on the internet longer than I've been Andy DeRoe. So yeah. it all works. Yeah. Uh, Andy, we're going to take some questions. Uh, I thought tonight, you know, we haven't opened up the floor for questions in a long time. And I figure end of the regular season, people have a lot of things on their mind. Let's, uh, let's just do this. First question, Andy, are you, are you sure you're ready for the people's time here? I sure hope so. Okay. First question. Will there be pancakes? (sighs) There better be. Oh, that's the right answer. I've got some uh, nice homemade syrup from last fall that would be delightful on them. Yeah. Now All I right. really want pancakes. I Dang mean, it, I AJ. Pancakes, so. <sighs> Making me want pancakes. I mean, if you're not wanting pancakes in the, to begin with, all I'm doing is helping you out. So. Sure, but like, there's nowhere to get pancakes. I'd have to make pancakes right now, and that's just not gonna happen so now i mean none of these things are my fault <sighs> sure uh-huh we'll go with that. uh-huh <laughs> out of way to deflect blame i i see how you are I see. okay i i mean there are always pancakes in my world so the answer is yes there will be pancakes um probably the toughest question i'm gonna throw at you so i'm gonna do it early now uh, Brandon Judy wants to know at this point in time, who would you rather have, Duchesne or O'Reilly? I'll give you a third option: Duchesne or O'Reilly, or the combined trade returns between the two. Oh well, obviously the t- combined trade returns. Um, okay, I, yeah. take out take out the Duchesne trade return because that's obviously super duper lopsided. Would you rather have at this point Duchesne, O'Reilly, or the O'Reilly trade return? Hmm. Oh, you must kill a child now. Uh, I mean, would this be with the way that Duchesne and O'Reilly left the Avs? Because in both of those cases, I was not particularly thrilled at how they uh, handled the exit. It could have been well, the... a lot more gracefully. Keeping keeping O'Reilly uh, would cost would have cost eight and a half million because he was asking for the extra money to stay with Colorado because he wanted out. That's so way too much for him. Eight and a, it would be you would be O'Reilly at eight and a half million and not O'Reilly at the seven and a half million he sits at today. Yeah, that's ugh, that's a lot. And then Duchesne is well, he wants playoffs, and <laughs> him leaving is actually what uh, sparked the abs to get back to him. So uh, thanks for that, dude. Um, thanks for that, dude. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, and then you've got Comfer and Zadorov who are... Uh, and then I think AJ Greer was part of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So... 
bunch of guys have ended up in that trade tree. So yeah, uh... main the main principles obviously are Zadorov and Comfer. Um, I don't know that the Abs make the postseason without those guys, and who knows what kind of impact uh, O'Reilly at eight and a half million has on them over the course of the last couple of years. Uh, if it was as simple as plug and play into today's roster and nothing else in history changed. It's pretty hard to, to go against O'Reilly. He'd be the perfect two, two C for this team. The perfect compliment, even though he'd be an expensive compliment to Nathan McKinnon uh, as the two way guy who could do all the shutting of down uh, of opposing guys, but uh, could still produce enough offense to justify being there and doing his thing. They'd be a really good one-two punch. They'd be probably the best one-two punch in the NHL, to be honest. Yeah, it would um, be it would be great. I mean, I always loved O'Reilly's game when he was here, and uh, he yeah. was actually my favorite uh, player when I first started really getting into the abs. His was the the first jersey I owned. So, I mean, I I have always loved O'Reilly's game and was thrilled mm-hmm. watching his progression from you know being the lovable third line center into a legitimate top line guy. He is. He doesn't have the natural skill that a lot of other players do, but he works his butt off every single shift. And uh, it's cool seeing guys like that get rewarded. Um, And I I agree that if you look at everything without any context and you were presented Duchesne, O'Reilly, or, you know, Comfort Greer and uh, Zadorov. I would probably take O'Reilly, but when you add the contacts back in and the cap hits and uh, the future outlook and the the way that the exits happened, I yeah, I and, and I, I mean, take the return. I, the 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 unknown of what may have happened with O'Reilly had he stuck around, you know, maybe they don't get Miko Ranton in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't know, you don't know what happens and all the other, all the other trickle down things. Uh, if you try to go back in time and, and, and keep O'Reilly and never deal him. Yeah. Butterfly um, effect. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you don't really know how far it goes or what, what, what all actually happens. And at this point, it's hard to be really upset with where the abs have put themselves currently. Um, so I thought it was kind of an interesting question, Duchesne or O'Reilly, and I added a wrinkle to it because I thought there was another level we could go to. Um, Andy, next question. Um, do we see Kale McCarr in the playoff series? I'll rephrase it just a little bit and say, don't worry about expansion. Don't worry about the ELC. Would you drop Kale McCarr into the playoffs if you really believe that this team has a chance to do something special? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the only reason I would hold him out is not even the ELC. It's just expansion draft. Yeah, I don't care about the ELC one bit. No, and actually there's something to be said for getting him to his second contract quicker. Because if Mm -hmm. he's as good as we all expect him to be, if he has one fewer year to put up some numbers, Dune might be a little bit cheaper. So uh, if he is not going to be expansion draft eligible if we don't have to dedicate a a spot to him then absolutely i think that talent wise he is way better than nemeth even as a rookie who is probably going to make rookie mistakes 
I think that he would be an exciting boost to this team. And, uh, you know, he's, he's from the Calgary area. So I think that on a personal note, it would be really cool to see a hometown kid play his first NHL game in a playoff series against who presumptively was his uh, childhood team. I, I think that would be great. So, yeah, no, absolutely. If, if the expansion draft is not an issue, yeah, play Kale McCarr. Even if it even if it is an issue, is I mean, you only get so many kicks at the can. You never know what could happen. Could Kale McCarr be a catalyst for this team winning a couple of rounds? And maybe at that point, you're getting into coin flip territory, and maybe you just do something special. Definitely a possibility. I mean, uh, do we think Kale McCarr can have that kind of impact right away? Right, I mean, right out of the gate. Like, there's no adjustment period. This kid's career would be starting halfway through the first round postseason series um, between his hometown team of the Flames and the Avalanche. Uh, could is, is it realistic or is is it super pie in the sky of us to be having this conversation? I don't know. I mean, you look at the way that he just destroyed the NCAA this year. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it was insane how head and shoulders above everybody else. He looked, he honestly, he looked like Nathan McKinnon when he's flying versus just guys standing still. It, it was, it was amazing. So it's, it's a little hard to say because obviously the NCAA is not the NHL. It's not at the same speed. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have the same offensive uh, kick. It's, it's a very different league. So dominating there and then transitioning that directly into the playoffs. uh, I don't know, but I don't think it's totally unheard of. I, I don't think it's, totally out of bounds i think that there's Mm -hmm. definitely a chance that that happens i'm not saying that it's a a great chance or that it's guaranteed but i do think that even if there is an adjustment period kale mccarmix is better than we were right now you know game 82 i think that he is an upgrade okay so in saying that how do you utilize him what kind of lineup do you build around him well, I think obviously Nemeth is the guy that you're uh, scratching for him, and okay, so you um, wouldn't go eleven seven. You would just go straight up twelve six and and drag and drop essentially. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, I mean, you could get cute with it, and we have seen the um, the eleven seven payoff uh, here down the stretch, but I think that that was more necessi- necessitated by injuries than necessarily Bednar being totally on board with it. It worked out. Um, I liked his comment after one of the games that, especially on the road, it makes you very difficult to match up against because it's just this jumble of guys. But uh, I think for a playoff series, it would be nice to spread things out a little bit because um, especially in the back-to-back Chicago game, you saw the downside to it of these guys are playing more minutes than they used to, and they get tired. And if you're in a tight playoff game, playoff race, you know, that little bit of extra rest, the extra couple of minutes might not be the worst thing. So, 
Yeah, I think that I would go um, Gerard Johnson, top pairing, and then uh, Zadorov Barry, and then put Cole, who is the veteran, who has the most playoff experience, who, when he's playing his game, is a great compliment um, because he's strong around his own net. And then you just let Makar be the transition wizard that he is and go do his thing offensively, and you have three outstanding pairings that could be used as a top pairing at any time. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's, I think, how I would roll it if uh, Makar is available. Okay. Um, That's a tough... The expansion draft is really the thing that makes this a tough call. And without being able to get a clear-cut answer from anybody on it and uh there are people out there with confidence in answers um but until i get until i get something that's actually like hard confirmed and like this is the way that it is and that i can fully believe in it uh i am not i don't know how to feel about the whole expansion draft thing for me honestly i would probably uh, i i tend to be a little more on the play at safe side with that stuff um, but at the same time, making the postseason is one thing and you get in and your team is playing with a ton of confidence and you're feeling really good about yourself right now. And you're in a really flawed Western conference this year. We talked about how the West is down. If you really think McCarr can get in there and really, and, and do something for you. And then I say, why not? You never know what's going to happen. It's not, it would not be the biggest surprise in the world for the abs to win a round or two and maybe uh maybe put a scare into somebody in a conference final you know we saw the 94.8 seed nashville predators went to the stanley cup finals just two years ago and even last year you saw the severely injured and banged up and gosh we started our third goalie uh colorado avalanche put a six game scare into top seed nashville yeah, and the only game that 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 the Avs didn't belong in was Game Six. Yeah, the other the first five games could have gone legitimately either way, and I mean, hey, Game Five like Andrew Hammond was phenomenal that game, but the only goal they scored was on a was on a puck that they kicked in and shouldn't have counted in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's certainly, it's it's certainly interesting. I I will definitely understand if they decide to be aggressive with it. Um, and I'm, I'm all for it. I would love to see him here. I would love to see him just, it would be, it would be a lot of fun. It really would be. And having those kinds of pairings, uh, where you have at least one elite skater on each of your pairings between Gerard, Barry and, uh, Makar would be really interesting and a really, a, 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 a quick little peek at the future of the NHL as a whole, where skating, especially on the back end. And being able to skate pucks out individually has become uh, such the the strategy du jour. Um, okay, last question. I was going to ask you about Miko Rantanen, but I thought there was a I think there's a more interesting question here. Uh, from Nate Cheney here, he says, "Which guy is going to?" Essentially, the question is, which guy suffers the most from missing? Uh, the, this season, substantial time this season, Connor Timmins or Vladislav Kamenev? That's another tough decision because it's such a bummer seeing both guys out. Um, 
you know, I'm going to say Timmons. Um, you know, when you go from uh, juniors and you miss your entire first pro year, that is a huge, huge step back in your career. And for him to have been sidelined this entire season and not really have a team, um, he was kind of with the Avs and kind of with the Eagles, and there was very strict rules from the NHL about mm-hmm. how much he could hang out with them and contact with the team, um, you know, the coaches and that sort of thing. And uh, I think it's just been a really, a really terrible, rough year for him. Whereas, you know, Kamenev, it sucks that his spot might get taken. I think that he at least in the limited time we've been able to see him with the abs has been a really solid four seat for them. And I think that losing him this year and the somewhat turmoil we've had down the middle, uh, some of that could have been solved if, if he had still been here, still been healthy. Um, but, you know, I think he has established, at least in that short amount of time, that he is an NHL player, that he does have a career if he can be healthy enough to, to have it. Whereas Timmons, that's, we don't know what we have with him. We, we don't know if he's going to fully recover. It's a head injury. It's, all of it is gray area. And uh, so that's who I think I'm going to go with is... Uh, I think Timmons has been has been a bigger loss. He's been he's had the tougher go of the two, and I I just hope that both of them finally experience some health next season because it would be great to get both of those guys back into the into the system and onto the team. Hopefully, it's yeah. I think the I think the year off is also. Um, more detrimental to Timmons because he's still in those, those formative years, you know, whereas with Kamenev, it's not that his missed time is irrelevant, but he's a guy who's had several years in the AHL and all he's trying to do now is carve out a spot in the NHL. Like all he's trying to do, like it's no big deal, but that's, that's what he's up to now. He's trying to get that. He's trying to lock that down. And with Timmons, I mean, he's just trying to finish up the junior career and transition into a pro career and the year off of all competitive um, uh, playing of the sport, I think is way, has a chance to be way more detrimental ultimately for, for Timmons than Kamenev. Although with Kamenev, um, I mean, there's always the, the Wally Pip factor, you know, where he gets hurt, somebody takes his job and he never gets another opportunity. But he was at least getting an opportunity when he got hurt. Whereas with Timmons, he was just finishing out his, uh, you know, albeit excellent junior career um, and, and has not gotten an opportunity in pro hockey yet. So I would say more damaging to Timmons to, to, to be going what he's going through, what he's going through right now. But no doubt a big disappointment for the Avalanche on both fronts that those are two prospects that they had very high hopes for. Uh, that they're trying to get, you know, not necessarily star players out of, but quality depth guys where they turn into the kind of guys where you don't, you have those guys. So you don't go spend $4 million on Ian Cole. You don't go spend $3 million on Matt Calvert, you know? So it's, 
um, it, it's very interesting uh, for me. I think it's 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 quite um, an interesting situation with both those guys. Uh, Andy, I do want to thank you uh, for coming on and doing the pod with me, especially because I literally asked you five minutes before I started recording. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, I just yeah, figured, no I I mean, you were around and, and you were fighting with people on Twitter and I thought, hey, maybe we could turn this into something more productive together. So, well, I mean, what do you mean? Fighting with people on Twitter isn't productive? <laughs> it, uh, no, I'm just going to say no, it's, <laughs> it's not. It can be educational and it can be entertaining, but I don't know that productive is a word I would ever uh, assign it. So, well, you just uh, I do it right then. I do, I do appreciate you putting that aside for the evening and coming to join me <laughs> and uh, talking a little puck. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, do you have any final here. words for the people? The Avs made the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. I, I am still in shock from that, but the Avs made the playoffs. I think that's a good place to end the show. So I'm going to go ahead and do that. The Avs made the playoffs. There you have it. This has been the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Bev. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you in a few days.